Morning church. Wow, that's nice and loud. Merry Christmas. It is the most wonderful time of the year. And I hope your kids woke you up as early as my kids did this morning. Um, but amidst the presents and the food and family and all the other wonderful things that today is going to be about, my hope as we spend some time in His Word, some time in His presence this morning is that you are able to celebrate Jesus. As I was driving here, I just was thinking, the world, they don't get it, but they do get that there's something about this time of year. Nearly everyone in the world today is gathering together and celebrating something they don't really understand, but we get to celebrate the real reason this day is special. And Jesus is with us right now. And we find ourselves this morning in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and Isaiah is a prophet, messianic, means he made a lot of prophecies about the coming Messiah. And ar around 700 years before Jesus is even born, he has this to say. In Isaiah verse nine, chapter 9, verse 6, it should come up on the screen for you, it says, For to us a child born... To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We sung some wonderful worship songs this morning. I was thinking of one in particular when I was preparing the sermon, and one lyric, really a powerful lyric, came into my mind, and it says this, fullness of God in helpless babe. Fullness of God in helpless babe. Just think about that for a second. It's a wondrous thing, which means we should dwell on it and wonder about it. Jesus was the fullness of God and in a helpless baby. It's an incredible thought. But it's not just a thought, because God did it. A few years ago, I had the privilege of taking the gospel to Muslims in Oman. My best friend was an imam named Ahmed. And Ahmed and I spent many nights in the desert talking about God and Jesus under the stars. The only problem was Ahmed's English was just a little bit worse than my Arabic. And so the conversation never got as far as I wanted it to. But I remember one day, Ahmed let me read some scripture to him. And we read about the baby, Jesus. And as soon as we read it, he stopped me and he said, And you think that baby is God? And I could see this absolute bewilderment on his face. We'd been friends about a year. He had grown to love and respect me as a person and my faith. He knew I loved God. I had grown to love and respect him as a person. I knew he loved God. And so it just blew him away that I could possibly believe that that baby was God. Through broken Arabic, I was able to show him that Jesus did not start here 
as a baby. He's before this. And the best I could say was, he's from the beginning. And when Ahmed asked me for clarification on what I meant that Jesus is from the beginning, because I didn't have any other words, the best I could do was, he's from the beginning, beginning. I knew the word beginning, so I repeated it twice and prayed. To my relief, Ahmed said, if Jesus is from beginning, beginning, then he is God. So he got it. And Ahmed left with something to chew on that night. Does Jesus exist before his birth as a human baby? And what does that mean for Ahmed? I also left chewing on something that night. I was chewing on my friend's bewilderment at this baby God. What an incredible thought. I think we grow up in our Western culture with baby Jesus, whether we believe in him or not. And so by the time we even come to faith, we've lost some wonder at this incarnation, this thought that this baby is God. My friend Ahmed helped me that night to spend a little bit more time trying to think about this. Fullness of God in helpless babe. Just over a year later, my son was born. And I remember holding Sebastian here. 50 centimeters. He wasn't 50 centimeters. The average height of a baby is 50 centimeters, and I'm one of the shortest men that exists, so I can't remember how big he was. But this is about 50 centimeters, my elbow to my hand. Could fit him there. Absolutely helpless. The fullness of God fitting into 50 centimeters. Absolutely helpless, yet completely secure, because the Father will not let anything happen to that baby. At the time Jesus was born, King Herod was killing babies in their thousands. Satan has been trying to stop God's plan to save us for centuries, and he knew something was up, and he tried to get all the babies killed. And here is baby Jesus, completely helpless, in his mother's arms, safe and sound, because God is sovereign, and nothing can stop his plans. Think about this. The biggest thing we know is the universe. And we know now that it's getting bigger every second. With all of our science, and with all of our knowledge, we can't get anywhere near trying to understand how big our universe is. The brain breaks when you try and even think about it. And yet Isaiah will say that God measures the span of the universe with the breadth of his hand. So there it is. It's getting bigger every second, and it never gets past there for him. That's how big God is. That's the closest I can get to explaining how big he is. And yet here he is, fullness of God in 50 centimeters, held in human arms. Incredible. Adrian Rogers writes this. He says, the little baby that was upon the straw is the mighty God of Genesis 1. 
This little baby who held Mary's hand as a toddler and learned to walk is the one from whose fingertips suns sprang and oceans dripped. He is the mighty God. This little boy playing with the shavings in Joseph's carpenter shop is the one who made every tree and every hill and every mountain. He is the mighty God. Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born. God was born. Think about that. When Jesus came from the glories of heaven, he did not come as high and mighty and powerful. He came small, weak, and obscure. He came as a baby. And I hope you're wondering why did he do that? Why did he have to come as a human? Why did he have to come as a baby? And it's got everything to do with his mission and what he's come to do for us. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save mankind. His name means God saves. Every human being is a sinner. If you're sitting here today thinking you're a good person, I want to shatter that for you for a moment and tell you you're not. And this is coming from a perfectionist, a little boy who writes down in his book everything everyone else does wrong. That little boy is still in here, still trying to be perfect. I hate making any mistake. But the truth is, every single one of us is a sinner. And sin requires punishment. God's justice requires it is punished. It cannot be left. God's justice can't leave it. He has to deal with it. And we needed a representative to pay the price for us because the price is eternal separation from God forever. That's the price for your and my sin. If it's left unpaid for, the way we would pay for it is to be eternally separated from God forever, every single person. We needed a representative to pay the price for us. We couldn't do it. I couldn't pay the price for myself, let alone you. There wasn't one representative in all of history who was able to pay the price to deal with sin. And so God sent his son. And to pay for all human sin, this representative would need to be human and it he would need to be sinless. Human and sinless. And since no human was sinless, God came himself as a baby. And he took on flesh. Born of woman, so that he could one day pay for the sins of all humans. The sinless Savior, the Son, given as God promised through Isaiah. And this next part, I love it. I'm going to read it, and I hope joy springs in your soul as I read this. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. I am so tired, I'm sure you are too, of human leadership. And I'm not just speaking about our own country. I think Cyril Ramaphosa is doing a fantastic job, by the way. I'm talking about world leadership on a grand scale, for centuries and centuries, has failed over and over and over again, and it continues to fail us. And one day, Jesus will have the government on his shoulders. He will come back, as Matt spoke about earlier, and he's coming back 
to rule. He will lead. The government will rest on his shoulders. And man, when we get to experience real, pure leadership, what a wonderful, and it's going to be like that for, his kingdom will never end. It'll be forever, for eternity. It will be amazing. That means he's coming back again. It's good to picture him for a moment. I'm trying to get you to picture him as a baby, but not just as a baby in a manger. I think we've got that picture, but as a baby carrying the fullness of God. It's good to picture that and wonder about that for a little bit. But we shouldn't leave him there. And it's also good to think about him on a cross, as we've just spoken about, coming and dying for the sins of all mankind. But we shouldn't leave him there. He's not in the manger anymore. He's not on the cross anymore. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, waiting to receive those who trust in him and to judge those who stand against him. There are only two camps this morning. Those who are with Jesus and those who are against him. Which camp are you in? One of my favorite missionaries is a man called Charles Marsh. He was a missionary to North Africa. And he had a strategy for sharing Jesus with Muslims that challenged me. He would say, he would go up to a Muslim and he would say, tell me everything you know about Muhammad. I'll give you free reign. Like, I'll keep quiet. You speak about Muhammad as long as you want to. That's the deal. Take as long as you want. We could be here for days. If you can do that for days, I will sit and listen to you for days to talk about Muhammad. And when you're finished, I want an opportunity where you will sit quietly and listen and I'll talk about Jesus. And Muslims often enjoyed that challenge because they love to talk about their prophet Muhammad. And, but the problem was, after about five minutes, they would run out of the facts that they knew about him because he's just a person who existed a long time ago. And you can only learn so many facts. It would then turn over to Charles, and Charles would go on forever talking about Jesus, this Jesus that he knows personally, that he is in a real relationship with today. And I can tell you everything I know about him. And he would go on and on and on, and the Muslim would respectfully let him speak because that was the challenge. And it challenges me to think about when I read that, I go, oh, wow, that's so amazing. Do you know I was pretty scared to employ that challenge myself? Oh, Muslim, tell me everything you want to know, everything you've got about Muhammad. You go for five minutes and I'll go, everything I know about Jesus. Will I get to five minutes? Was my thought. It challenges me to think about my personal relationship with Jesus. How well do I know him? How much could I say about him in similar circumstances. I'm going to uh, prod one or two of you this morning. You who visit church at Christmas and Easter and you think you know Jesus, what would you say if someone gave you unlimited time to tell them everything you know about him? Do you know him as well as you think you do? This is why I'm challenging myself to read this book every day. Because when I read this book, it tells me about Jesus. I learn more about him. And even this morning, one verse tells us so much about Jesus and his character and who he is. 
So this morning, in the final 10 minutes I've got, let's see if we can add a few more thoughts to the Charles Marsh Challenge. And maybe we'll be in better shape should we choose to take it on one day. The first thing Isaiah says about Jesus is that he is the wonderful counselor. In English, wonderful means extraordinary, extraordinarily good or great, exciting, a feeling of wonder, marvelous, extremely good, exciting or causing marvel, tending to excite, wonder, surprising, extraordinary, surprisingly excellent, very admirable, extremely impressive. Adrian Rogers again says this, he says, Jesus is wonderful. Everything about him is wonderful. His birth is wonderful. His life is wonderful. His works are wonderful. His words are wonderful. His death is wonderful. His resurrection is wonderful. His ascension is wonderful. His intercession for us is wonderful. His coming again is wonderful. I heard of a preacher, this is his story, who was on a train and he noticed a man looking out the window and as they went past the landscape, and it was beautiful landscape, uh, that man kept saying, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. He'd pause and look for a while, wipe the tears from his eyes and would say, wonderful. The preacher's curiosity was aroused and he went over and sat by this man and he said, I've never seen someone enjoy a train ride quite so much. Can you tell me why it is so wonderful, he said. Sir, you don't understand. I've just had surgery. I've been without sight for years and years and years and now I'm seeing things that I'd long since forgotten. I'd forgotten how blue the sky was, how green the grass was, how beautiful the trees, how bright the flowers, he said. It's wonderful, it's wonderful. I pray, God, today that he'll open up our blinded eyes that you might see how wonderful, wonderful the Lord Jesus is. His name is wonderful. The next word is, the Hebrew word for counselor is yachts. And it means to give counsel, to guide, devise, and plan. How often do you feel like you don't know what to do next? How often in this life have you felt like, I'm not sure what I'm meant to do next with this situation and this thing I'm facing? How often do you feel lost and you're not sure what to do? Jesus is a counselor, He gives wisdom. He advises. He guides. He counsels those who look to him. Last Sunday night, a young lady came up to the front for prayer, and she said, I'm going back to Joburg, and I have a big decision to make about what church to go to. I've got a family church that I'm from, but I wasn't really growing there, and I've been in East London just a few years, and I'm heading back, and I have a choice to make now. Should I go back to my family church and bring what I see missing? Or is God asking me to go somewhere else where I can grow more? I can't answer that question. But Jesus can. And she's seeking Him. She's coming up for... She's not making the best decision she can with her own wisdom. I want to guard you from that. We are so independent in the West. So individual you first think about all the ways you'll solve the problem. And often you walk in those and then you bump your head on life. And you forget Jesus is your counselor. He wants to tell you which step to take next. 
And we might say, but I don't, when I pray, I'm not sure. It comes down to relationship. You aren't close enough to Him. Spend time with Him. The more time you spend with Him, the easier it will be to discern what He's saying to you. God has many times told me exactly the next step. Sometimes I haven't known and sometimes I've had to just go. In faith, going, Lord, I did seek you. I'm trusting in Proverbs 3 verse 6 now that says, Acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways. Lean not on your own understanding and He will make your path straight. Even if I make a mistake, God is able to make this path straight. Why? Because I live my life seeking you, acknowledging you. And even when I don't know, I've sought your face. I'm not making this decision without seeking you, Lord. I've sought you. And that's what I could say to the school. She said, you know, I'm not sure what he's saying yet. It's okay. You're seeking him. He's going to lead you. And even if you make a mistake, he's able to direct you to keep you on his path because you're seeking him. You're doing the right thing. Friends, I have many stories of Jesus leading me and guiding me. Do you know him like this? Do you know him? He is the wonderful counselor. Do you know him like that? The second characteristic Isaiah helps us with this morning is that he is the mighty God. Wow. I need to turn on to the right page here. I'm going to read the wrong characteristic. Three. He is the mighty God. It speaks of His power. He cannot lose. He cannot lose. He defeats every enemy. We sang about that this morning. He defeats every enemy and He fights for you and me. We've got nothing to fear. I bought Seb for Christmas trump cards, superheroes. And it's got, oh, how strong they are and how fast they are and all this and you want to call out the highest one. And I imagined... One of the cards saying Jesus. And what would it say? Would it be maxed on every characteristic? And the answer to that is no. Because you can still match the max. If the other card calls out the max amount and Jesus just maxes as well, then they're equal. That's not what it would say. The Jesus card would say, hand over. And then you go, but I haven't called out the number yet. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the number is hand over. You lose. He cannot lose. And he fights for you and me. Sometimes I get phone calls from Christians saying, Mark, there's weird stuff happening at my house. I see weird things. Come and pray for my house. No. Do you know Jesus? Yes, I do. Then you're fine. He can do nothing to you. I don't know Jesus. Oh, well, then the issue isn't the house. Come to my office and let me tell you about Jesus. Because when you have bowed the knee to Jesus, you've got nothing to fear. We've got churches in the city preaching a different gospel, a gospel, and this is why some of you are confused, a gospel that diminishes Jesus and his power because it adds things on to the gospel. Be careful of that. That's not what we believe. We believe he is all-powerful, and everything will bow to him. I had a lady come into my office and say, I've got a soul tie because there's this guy I can't keep thinking about. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. You don't have a soul tie. That broke the moment you placed your trust in Jesus. She comes into my office two weeks later and she says, thank you, pastor. She's not from our church. You're the first pastor to tell me that. She gets that she's free 
because of who Jesus is and because she trusts in him. Stop listening to messages that diminish Jesus and diminish his power and add things on to him. Be careful of that. He's the mighty God. You've got nothing to fear. He's with you. If you're resting on what he did for you on the cross and you receive him as king over your life, you have nothing to fear. I was on a mission trip to Mozambique and there was a witch doctor and the village were so scared of him. And eventually I realized they won't even come and preach the gospel with us. We, wanted to t- we don't just want to come and do the work. We want to help the church stand on its own two feet and be the church in the community. And they were too scared to come and preach the gospel with us. And that's when I decided, that's enough. I'm tired of hearing about this witch doctor. I'm tired of hearing about how, what can he do? I said to them, tell me what he does. Why are you so scared? Well, he eats some muti and then his tongue comes out to his belly button. And we've seen this with our own eyes. Which I must admit is a weird thing to think about. So, but my next thought was, then what? Like, that sounds scary, right? Let's all be afraid of that. But then what? What does he do? Isn't that actually uncomfortable for him? Isn't he actually in a problem in that moment? And they said, oh, yes, actually, it takes another two hours to make the other right muti before he can eat it and it can shrink back. He's actually in trouble when he does that. But you're so scared of him because of these tricks that you see him do. So I said, we're going to go see him. And no one wanted to come with me. We were all so afraid of the witch doctor. We had two translators. We were in two different camps. The witch doctor problem was in my camp. The other camp was soaring along fine. But my camp, my translator was from that camp. He came with me on all the other things. When I said, let's go to the witch doctor, he said, I'm out. Not coming with you. Strong Christian, not coming. I live here, I know this guy, I've seen what he does, I don't want any part of this. So I went and I fetched the other translator who's not from this village. I said, look, let me warn you, the other guy is scared to go. So I'm, I want to go, you're going to come with me? Oh, I'll come with you. I'm not afraid. Okay. And eventually the morning I decide to go, some of my team members get a bit of courage and a few of us go. And we show up at the witch doctor's hut. And I want you to imagine it the way I felt in that moment. A little bit of fear did start to get into, because you can be all blustery, you know. But here's the, the tacky's going to hit the top. I'm ready for the lizard king. <laughs> and I told the translator, call, out, call him out. And uh, this door starts creaking open. I hear music. I've watched too many movies. (laughs) And this old man sticks his head out and he starts walking out towards us, hunched over. He didn't look like much until he got close enough and you saw the eyes. The eyes didn't look great. They were scary eyes. Normal tongue, scary eyes. And there was a staring contest for a minute while I waited for him to launch a surprise tongue attack. And when that didn't come, I said to him, we are here today to show you we're not afraid of you. This church belongs to Jesus, and he's more powerful than you, and you need to be careful what you do with him. You need to be careful what you do with them, because he is the mighty God, and he protects those who belong to him. 
So we are going to preach the gospel here and tell people who Jesus is. And I suggest you bow your knee to him before it's too late for you. The feared tongue never came out. We went back to the church and told them, we looked this monster in the eyes and you don't need to be afraid of him. Live for Jesus. Preach the gospel. The mighty God is with you. Isaiah says that he's the everlasting father. I'm going to rush through these last two points because we're at time. This is an interesting name. I have to touch on it for a moment because when you first hear it, you think of God the Father. At least I do, not God the Son. And I don't have time to get too theological with you this morning, but I have to protect us from a potential heresy. Isaiah is not saying that Jesus is the Father. This is not a comment on the Trinity. We are talking about the characteristics of Jesus, what he is like. He is like a counselor. He is like a mighty warrior. He is like a father. He is not the father. He is like a father. And in the ways that a father is to children, he protects. In the same way he's a shepherd, he protects, he leads, he provides. Jesus is all of those things, and it's forever, everlasting. We get earthly fathers. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, but none of them last. Sebastian and Olivia, dad, will not always be here for them. Jesus is everlasting. Ray Pritchard says this in Hebrew. The phrase is literally the father of eternity. It speaks of his purpose of, for coming. He is before, above, and beyond time. He is the possessor of eternity. He is eternally like a father to his people. This is not a statement about the Trinity, but about the character of our Lord. All that a good father is, Jesus is to his people. And the last name we're going to talk about this morning is the Prince of Peace. It's my favorite characteristic of Jesus. There's a verse that hangs in my office. If you come and visit me, it's Isaiah 26 verse 3, and it says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When I'm not at peace, and that's unfortunately far too often, nearly always, it is because my mind has strayed far from God. Strayed far from Christ, who is my Prince of Peace. This scripture says, whose mind is stayed on you. That is obviously a difficult thing for us to do. In this helter-skelter world, but it is the only way to be at peace. Peace conveys a range of meanings, including safe, well, happy, friendly, welfare, health, prosperity, absence of strife, completeness, harmony, fulfillment. I want some of that. Jesus offers perfect peace. Not even, that's just normal worldly peace characteristics. Jesus offers perfect peace to those whose minds are stayed on him. A reporter asked the late President Herbert Hoover, Mr. President, how do you handle criticism? Do you ever get agitated or tense? No, President Hoover said, seemingly surprised at the question. Of course not. But, the reporter went on, when I was a boy, you were one of the most popular men in the world. Then for a while, you became one of the most unpopular. Nearly everyone against you. Didn't any of the meanness and criticism ever get under your skin? No. I knew when I went into politics what I might expect. So when it came, I wasn't disappointed or upset. He lowered his familiar bushy eyebrows and looked directly into the reporter's eyes. Besides, 
I have peace at the center, you know. He's talking about a relationship with Jesus. Wow. When I grow up, I want to be like that guy. My wife and I just celebrated our 12th anniversary. Let me tell you, I married a remarkable woman who's been able to cope with this bundle of insecurity, who tirelessly tries to people please, to make people like me, because I don't have peace at the center yet. Jesus offers perfect peace to those whose mind is stayed on them. You know what the beautiful thing is, as I admit to you my insecurities and my perfectionism, is that even though I try and build up this perfect person, Mark, that I present to you that you will like him, he isn't real, The gospel says that real Mark, broken Mark, imperfect Mark, I love him. I accept him. I want to give him my peace. Jesus loves and accepts me with all of my imperfections, and he wants to teach me to have peace at my center. As we close this morning, I think we've got reason to pause and marvel at this baby Jesus, fullness of God in helpless babe. But we cannot stay there. Isaiah doesn't stay there and Jesus has not stayed there. Do you only think of Jesus as a baby in a manger because you visit him once a year at church? Do you think of him twice a year? Maybe you think about him dying on a cross as well. Is that enough for you? Or do you know him as a wonderful counselor, someone who is with you every step of the way, guiding and advising you as you follow him? Do you know him as the mighty God Someone who wins every battle. Is there a battle you're fighting this morning? My battle I'm currently fighting is perfectionism. He's going to help me win that. He's helped me win every battle so far. Is there a battle you're fighting this morning? My hope is in the mighty God who fights for me. Do you need to think about him this morning as an everlasting father, someone who never changes towards you, always loves you, always protects you? Do you know him like that? What about your Prince of Peace? Are you lacking peace this morning? Jesus offers you his peace if you will keep your mind fixed on him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful text in Isaiah which teaches us more about you. And this Christmas morning, Jesus, thank you that we can celebrate you Thank you that because of what you did on the cross, every single person has the opportunity to enter into a relationship with you so that they can know you in a far deeper way. May we fall in love with you, Jesus. May we desire to know you more. May we know you as a counselor, as a mighty warrior, as a father, and as someone who can give us peace no matter what we're going through. Lord, I pray that this year we would see us grow closer to you in our faith. If there's someone here today who hasn't yet bowed their knee to you, I pray that even now as we're praying, Lord, you are able to reveal yourself to someone in any moment. Don't leave church again for another year without thinking about him. Settle the matter with him today. Bow your knee to him. 
and surrender to him and live to know him more. In Jesus' name, amen. It's just gone 22. We've got another service starting in 20 minutes. So uh, we'd love to have you chatting under the tent, but uh, we're going to call it there and we'll see you next week. Uh, not Yes, next week Sunday, the third. Cheers.